good evening and welcome to GradCast. Thank you very much for joining us tonight. You are very much appreciated as always. We have a wonderful show for you tonight. My name is Eamon Chen. I will be one of your hosts and I'm joined today with my co-host Tanya. Hello. Hey. And our guest tonight is Charlotte. Hello. Hi. Charlotte, would you mind introducing yourself? Who are you and what do you do? That's a Big question. Um, I'm yeah. sorry. I'm a baby grad student, and by that I mean um, I'm a master's student in the Faculty of Information and Media Science Studies at uh, Western. I'm doing my master's in media studies, and I've been here for all of two months, and I'm like super excited. And um, yeah. Yeah, and uh, how'd you get into that sort of thing? Um, what inspired you to become a, a baby grad student? A baby grad student? Um, there's like two things. One of the bigger things is that I finished my undergrad degree and I was like, I am not going into the work market right away. <laughs> I saw my friends being shipped off to cubicle farms and government jobs and um, I was still really ready to like write essays and learn and read books. So I figured the next best thing would be grad school. And um, so I did my undergraduate degree at the University of Ottawa in communications and sociology. And what I liked was the intersection of the two. And I was like, oh, that's media studies. And then I looked around and Googled all these programs. And then I fell into Western's media studies program, which is a program that I love, it turns out. So being in Western's media studies program, what does that mean? So what what is the media studies program all about here at Western? Yeah, so the MA program is peculiar because it's not something that's like uh, a really um, practical program, but it's really focused on uh, theory and um, working on your own independent type of research. So the first year is dedicated to doing coursework and kind of just figuring out what you want to do, which I appreciate having like that one year buffer to figure out what I do want to do. And then the second year is just thesis writing. So um, it's got this like introductory element and then they kind of just throw you off the deep end. They're like, do your thing, which is something that, you know, gets me really excited. And that's something that's very different from undergrad, where it's not. Yeah, exactly. Where you're doing like five classes a semester, you just got to show up to class, take the notes, regurgitate it on an exam, and then just write essays. And like what I liked about my undergrad was writing essays and trying to find these original ideas. And now I'm just doing it, except, you know, full time, which is <laughs> awesome and terrifying at the same time. So, cool. Right. And since it's, you know, sort of fresh in your mind at the moment, I think, uh, how does one... Um, apply to become a baby grad student what is that process like and how was it for you um a lot of it is uh knocking an undergrad going to see your teachers knocking at the door mm -hmm. being like, um hi do you have like a second and then they go like yeah sure and then they invite you they sit down and then you tell them that you don't know what you want to do after your degree and they always encourage you to if you're a good student and you have shown um enthusiasm for the material they'll be like oh you should check out these grad schools and the process of that is um panicking about it a lot <laughs> uh, arguing with your parents about the value of a grad degree and then uh, seeing your professors, asking for letters of recommendation, figuring out what sort of programs appeal to you and then spending way too much time at three o'clock in the morning staring at program pages online and then eventually um, typing up a letter of, uh, your letter of proposal of research and all this stuff and then you send it all out and you hope for the best and then you cry when you get your email saying you've been accepted. <laughs> um, it's been it, it was it was a very um, emotional and loaded last semester in undergrad, but um, 
Should yeah. make like a schematic of that and post it online. Yeah, yeah. Flow there's chart. <laughs> a flowchart of yeah. like, is this program one year? Yes, don't do it. Is this program <laughs> three years? Yes, don't. And then like, you know, there's a way to, to decide a grad program that's good for you. But uh, this one is definitely the one that felt the best. And in my two months that I've been here, it's been nothing but amazing. So, so you mentioned earlier that you're kind of in that first year where you are trying to figure out what you would like to do. So how's that going so far? How does one navigate that process of trying to figure out what you want to do? Um, well, it's it's funny because you get to the program and you go to the orientation and they go around and they say, what is your name, where are you from, and what are your research interests? And automatically you get those keeners who are like, oh, my name is so-and-so and I want to do this really big pro project on this very small phenomenon using all these different theoretical considerations that I understand from all these different programs. And then it gets to your turn and you go, my name is Charlotte and I don't know what I want to do. Mm -hmm. You can obviously have like areas of interest. I have particular things that speak to me um, academically. Um, a lot of things I'm interested in are, let's say, uh, online digital community building, um, digital streaming platforms, uh, video games, television, and then everything that goes with representation and sustenance of those uh, industries. Um, but again, it's like I have so many broad interests mm -hmm. that that's what brought me to the program. But now it's a matter of deciding specifically what I want to do. And it changes every two weeks, I would say. Like, I'll just like I'll come see some people in the grad office and I'll be like, oh, my God, guys, I figured out my thesis. I think I'm going to do this. And then like they know like two weeks later I'm going to come back. And I was like, no, no, <laughs> I'm going to do this. And it just whatever we're looking at in class, whatever I, I have the opportunity to speak to people at the grad club about their research, and then I get very inspired. So it's just wanting to do it all. Yeah, exactly. So right mm -hmm. now, it's like, you know, assimilating and kind of figuring out how to go about the program. And now I'm at this point where that one idea that's stuck in my the back of my head since I finished undergrad and up till now is pretty much what I'm kind of going to go with because I'm, I don't want to spend too much time like you know switching from project to project and then eventually it being too late to do anything that's um, significant and uh, full mm -hmm. so yeah I'm just right so is this the project you sort of pitched in your application letter no no <laughs> um, the application was uh, literally me saying please look at my transcript. Please know that I'm a good student. Also know that I'm interested by all these things. But I was really explicit in saying the fact that a two-year program would work best for me because I would take the first year to really figure out what I want to do and the second year to execute it. Because mm -hmm. there are programs that ask you to write the thesis in one year along with coursework, and they ask oh, wow. you to give a, pro a project, like a full project already, something you've already given birth to, and just be like, I'm going to do it here. And that's that, that wasn't for me. So... Um, yeah, my application, it's just about demonstrating that you're a student who has the willingness, the enthusiasm, and uh, maybe like an incredible way, um, you know, the ability to go through with that thesis, mm -hmm. in my experience anyway. They could yeah. have just taken me because they needed students, but, you know. <laughs> and I think, um, of course, it varies according to department and yeah, all absolutely. sorts of things. But I think in general, the research program at Western, the great thing about it is to, uh, you can pretty much, all the departments allow you to pursue what interests you most yeah which is amazing you're like I have this um so I have a, co a, a colleague of mine in in the program who has a very specific interest in wrestling and like to the point where he came in with like this fully formed idea and he's still going to pursue it in a th like the capacity of his thesis but um he's slowly like starting to say oh maybe I'll broaden my horizon so for him it was going from specific to broad whereas for me it was going from broad now to specific mm -hmm. um, but it's really based on whatever you're interested in like whatever pulls you and then if you're comfortable and really enthusiastic about the theory of it then you've it's it's just fun 
Yeah. Well, yeah, cool. not all fun. Um, the late night existential crises are, are not fun. <laughs> but, you know. Well, I mean, <laughs> later on, maybe you'll look back upon those and, you know, it's fond it's, memories. It's formative. Yeah. Right? I just, it's, it builds character. Nostalgic. Builds character. Necessary, <laughs> even. So you mentioned that you kind of sort of have an idea of what you want to do. Do you want to introduce oh that my, idea yes. to us? Yes. So as it stands right now, um, I have a particular interest in a website called Twitch, which is a platform that allows people to stream themselves playing video games. But what I'm interested in specifically are how we interact with those streamers and those channels. Um, I spent a lot, a lot of time just watching Twitch streams myself, but it's not because I'm like super interested in the game they're playing or like the, pr I'm just like keep watching in fascination how the chats develop. And so my research potentially might be looking at doing a content analysis of those, um, the stream chats. So the people that are interacting, there can be hundreds of viewers at the same time commenting and interacting with the streamer, with each other in the chat and trying to figure out why do people, what incites people to engage? Mm -hmm. So uh, trying to find thematics. Is it because they're, um, they want to talk about the game? They want to with the streamer. They just want to have an outlet to share their day. What makes it so that they return? Because these people subscribe. These people are, are dedicated community members. These chats have moderators. Um, it's really fascinating. And there hasn't been any research about it. And I think that it marries my love of online platforms, community building, and video games in a way that, I mean, I, I don't think I'll get bored. I mean, this is what I, I think about late at night. <laughs> All right, Charlotte. Um, if possible, could you paint us a picture of what Twitch looks like? Like, if you were on a computer right now and visit the website, what what would you see? Like, yes. could you lay it out a bit? Is it like um, YouTube in a way? If, okay, so if you go on Twitch.tv, yep. you will find something that looks like a purple YouTube, except um, it's like you think you're watching someone play a game, but then their face is in a corner, and they're getting really mad, and they're raging. Um, but it could be like... Um, live it's basically YouTube live with a focus okay. on video games but you'll find those communities for people doing makeup tutorials in real time mm -hmm. and in them talking to the chat and talking to it's there's no way to describe it um, which is what's that's why I didn't I think that's why people haven't done research on it because not only is it emergent but it's multimodal and it's mm -hmm. a very complex type of thing to describe but okay three words gaming focused live purple YouTube it's a lot of words, Purple but three YouTube. three points. <laughs> so like, uh, there's a big screen with like the video game footage going on. Yeah, a smaller screen with the person actually playing the game. Yeah, and then a box off to the side where people can chat. Yeah, and comment on what's happening in real in the time. Video. Okay. Yeah, it, Skype and YouTube. Yeah, it's like together. so many things right. put together, and it's fascinating. So maybe I'm not. Maybe this could just be me not understanding. But when you say they're streaming themselves, are they watching? themselves play while watching other people play oh okay so they're playing the game when people are watching the Them streamer play. playing the game so there's like three degrees of interactivity which is like another on its own see i was yeah there's a lot of things and i was talking to a supervisor about it and they were telling me um yeah like if you're gonna have to bring it down to something very specific because then this could be like a much bigger project that might not be something mm -hmm. you could accomplish in uh, an ma so again, it's like going from broad to specific. And then even my topic is going from broad to specific. So this would be different from those video games where you're playing live, like you're competing with someone or... Oh, well, see, there's, yeah. So you're talking about like esports, yeah. which is like this big, um, that's even another facet of Twitch. Like that, oh, okay. Twitch was originally used to start broadcasting that so people could in real time 
uh, do it, but then it became something that could be appropriated by small users. You could have channels of maybe two people streaming at a time, uh, two people watching a stream at a time. Hmm. So it's it's big. I'm trying to make it small, but it's something that I'm fascinated with, and I think that people might be interested. And I think that's a lot of stuff that in a late in another context for other emergent type of websites and other notions of online interactivity that could be my research might be able to kind of like fuel some of that stuff. Um, so I like. Yeah, so this might be the, the grumpy old person question. Okay. But um, <laughs> maybe personally answer for yourself. Go for it. What is it that um, that motivates or that appeals to people watching other people play a video game? I don't know. That's you, I'm okay. absolutely fascinated by that because even myself, I'll watch someone uh, speed run, which is playing a game very fast and having these splits, like time trials against yourself, speed run these 25-year-old games and then get frustrated and reset every three minutes and then watching the people in the chat responding and then using the, them using the rhetoric of we got this guys and it's there's but like I don't know even myself why I'm I'm attracted to that and that's why an, an, analyzing the community and through the chat specifically and doing content analysis to figure out like if you code them into specific categories of engagement that at that point I might be able to answer that question mm-hmm. I'm striving to but then again this could mm-hmm. change because it's me yeah. Well, that's really interesting. Like when you first started talking about it, I immediately thought, okay, well, you would watch someone else play because you want to know how to play the game or you want to, you know, you couldn't figure out how to get past a level. So you'll watch them get past. Yeah. Level. But there's a lot more to it with the community aspect. There's that you so mentioned. much to it. I mean, you can subscribe to the same guy running the same game every day at like one o'clock in the morning. And um, you'll just watch him fail. And then his failures become your failures. And his successes become your successes. And it's like it's, reality TV. To, yeah, right. Like, when people get attached to that. Yeah, it's like reality TV, Skype, YouTube, community building. It's so complex and so large. But it's, again, it's it's fascinating. And, like, that appeals more to me because there's, like, part of me that wants to, like, always watch streamers. But then I'm also fascinated, like, as an outside viewer about how everything works together and how many components it takes in. Um, but like, see, that's much more interesting to me than doing like applied research on like, why does ageism exist in certain categories or um, looking at issues of uh, representation of sexualities online. Like these are things that are interesting, but not things that grip me as much as that. Because this is f- fun. Yeah, basically. exactly. <laughs> Do you think um, there's this sort of any parallel between people watching or participating in you know traditional like real sports right yeah. so w- what is the appeal of watching you know other people play football right why do we yeah. It, yeah there is that parallel and i think that you're you're tapping into something important because it's this idea of when my team wins i win mm-hmm. um and it's this idea of the thrill of watching it live because that's the appeal of twitch automatically is that um people are doing it live so uh, if there's a failure, you're there to like experience it at the same time with everyone at the same time. And you can tell by the activity in the chat when everyone's reacting to something. Mm-hmm. But the same way for sports, if you're on your Facebook feed and you're looking at people watching, let's say, the haves versus the sentence, and then you see some failures and people react to it, it's that, except it's so focused and concentrated and to um, a much more specific and niche audience. But there's definitely parallels. And the worst part is that there are people who are streaming sports games that are playing 2K, um, you know, 2K18, um, the NBA basketball game. And 
like they're on their own made up team, their own made up character, and they're playing a video game, and people are watching it the same way they would watch sports. So, mm-hmm. again, it's like, oh man, I don't and know. People... Half an hour could do justice to how fascinated <laughs> I am. But again, now the struggle becomes how do I make that into a workable master's thesis and try not to uh, get swamped or, or drown in this all this information and enthusiasm. So. And people spend lots of time on even building, like my partner and my brother spent at least six hours making their character, <laughs> like just so that it, oh, yeah. it looks a certain way and the height matters. And Yeah, and it's like you got to build the perfect character. And you're doing it for yourself, but now imagine that all those things that you do when you're playing a game, like as that's satisfying to you as a gamer, you have to do to also satisfy people who are viewing you playing that game. And like then huh. that becomes its own. So there's like, you, you're being a streamer is much more than being a gamer. It's also being an entertainer. Mm-hmm. So the way that you run your stream has to consider that people are. You have to like you know take breaks between playing to look at the stream to look at the chat and answer people in the chat. And uh, there's some streamers who will bring in mini games and bring in bot commands so that people can actively be engaged. Like, oh, how, what is the, how fast am I going to beat this level, guys? And then people will put in their times, and then people will win prizes, and it's, it's amazing. <laughs> so this sort of sounds like, I mean, I have memories of when I was a wee lad, little kid, on the couch, you know, playing Nintendo with my friends, and you know, I would have more than two friends um and you know at a time it was just two controllers right so we'd have to take turns but the people who you know weren't playing at the time were still there they're participating they're like cheering you on or laughing at you for failing or haha you died things like that and it seems like for twitch this allows that sort of engagement that sort of interaction on just like a global on a global level through um and the only intermediary to that is your screen and your username and the internet kind of acts as that inter- intermediary. So when you're not holding the controller and you're watching your friend play a game, um, which I think is part of part of the appeal, I would say, um, especially for me. Let's say like I don't have the time to play video games, so I like watching people play them really fast. <laughs> I don't have the means to buy a Nintendo Switch, but I was watching the first people and their first reactions to the new Super Mario game. Right. Um, mm-hmm. I will watch people play these games competitively that I've never been able to beat like past halfway through um yeah there's like a lot of reasons why and one of those reasons is also because um it's like you know when you're playing with your i have a sister my sister and i used to play games but i suck at video games which is part of the reason why i really like and then i would give her the control and be can you beat this level for me can you beat this part and ultimately what Mm -hmm. would happen is i would end up watching her beat the game Mm -hmm. i don't know why that is but i do that now as an adult which is sorry mom (laughs) That's really cool, though. I mean, with the, especially with the prevalence of social media continuing to increase, I think it's really important to understand these communities. It's like there's a real world community and yeah. this online. But see, I didn't think that they would build communities because if you look at Twitch, the purpose was just so you could stream a game so people could watch you play. So who who would who would tune into these broadcasts and who would watch that? But ultimately, what happens? is that there is a community of people who coming in regularly to watch the streams, who started talking to other people, who started introducing the friends to the stream, who are interested in the material, who interact with the streamer, and then it builds a community. So it wasn't it wasn't born a community. It was like a generative community, um, which is another aspect of it that's super interesting. So there's so many things. Like I could spend so many years of my life just like taking a small section of it and then applying certain theoretical frameworks and certain modes of analysis and just taking it apart. But then, you know, the struggle is what is most important? Mm -hmm. Uh, What will give me the most um, 
I want to say the most bang for my buck, like what will give me the most constructive conclusions and how can I use that for further research? So that's currently, after once I get through this crisis of this is really what I want to do for my thesis, <laughs> it'll be like, okay, this is what I'm going to do, but like what section do I focus on? I feel like you've probably hooked us and everybody listening. Okay, well then. Please do this. So we we'll know probably, the results. Yeah, it'll probably be that. But then again, every time I watch like Mad Men, then I'm like, oh, I could do a thesis on like representations of, of the 1960s and notions of simulacra. And I'm just like, everything that I've been studying in my content classes comes back. So You just need to find someone streaming a video game set in the 1960s or 50s. Or, <gasps> Mad you know. Men, the game. Right? Oh my gosh. <laughs> Just find oh. some way to have it would be all LA your Moore, eggs in one basket. Actually, yeah. So, um, we're I'm going to switch gears a little bit. So, all this right. actually is not your first time on radio. It is not. So, tell us about where radio started for you. Oh my gosh. Um, so when I was an undergrad at the University of Ottawa, I was a scared little kid from Quebec who had no friends, and I was looking for ways to make friends. But then all these fraternities on campus and all these debate clubs and these social consciousness clubs and Oxfam and stuff. And then I found this guy, and he's having these like little pins and these CDs and he's saying like we're a radio station and I was like I like music I like to talk um maybe this could be interesting and I is the thing that appealed to me most so I showed up into this dank basement at the bottom of the university center and I started meeting these people and it was so cool like when you think the word cool like alternative cool that's what community radio is <laughs> Um, so I started showing up there like every twice a week and just like three hours at a time, just like sit down, processing music, logging, talking with people about a variety of different things. And, uh, I got hooked. And then at one point, like about six months into my volunteering time there, um, they said, Hey, do you want a job? And I was like, yes, of course. <laughs> so, um, I did most of my undergrad working as a radioactive coordinator, which was a catch all term used to describe volunteer um, training, uh, programming, music, uh, like entry and, and programming, uh, producing shows and doing fundraising and all this type of stuff, whatever they needed me for. And um, unfortunately that ended after I got a research assistantship. I was deciding that as much as I love radio, it's something that I have to put aside because my academic career or potential academic career was something that I was looking at. But then uh, when I got here, and beautiful people like Yemen were like, oh, we do this thing called GradCast. And I was like, oh, that sounds so cool. As a way to like reconcile myself as a grad student and also my history and continued love for radio. So um, that's why I'm here. Awesome. And, you know, it's great. CHRW is rad well, too. Thank you very much um, yeah. for calling me beautiful. You are beautiful, Yemen. <laughs> Face for radio, some have said. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're happy to have both of you. <laughs> So if, if you had to pick one thing, though, what is it about radio that really gets you going? What is your favorite aspect of this, this broadcast medium? The fact that it's focused and a way to articulate specific, maybe alternative views. Um, radio itself is not interesting to me, but community radio is. Ah. Um, mm. The same way that podcasts are interesting because I am fascinated by everything, which is something you can probably know by now. Sorry, um, before we keep going, what's the difference between radio and community radio? So radio is mainstream radio. It's commercial. It's made to push certain music. I don't want to say music agendas, but um, certain top 40. Uh, mm -hmm. It kind of caters to the everyman. Uh, community radio is really focused because it's meant to... Um, 
address certain issues that are not addressed in mainstream radio, particularly when it has to do with marginalized groups mm -hmm. or people that have less voices. Um, it touches specifically on local communities. It's a way to engage people at a local level um, that isn't like, oh, we got two tickets to the next Justin Bieber call. Like, it's <laughs> not listening to something to fill the void in your car. It's something that is actively, something anyways, when I'm listening to, I'm actively interested in, things that I'd never thought about. It brings in perspectives and worldviews that you wouldn't probably consider in your day to day. Mm -hmm. And that's what is the continued interest in community radio. And it's very different from regular radio. It's the same reason you'll listen to specific podcasts because mm -hmm. it are there are these voices that you are engaged with that might differ from what you would normally hear around you. Very so the cool. sort of, steal the slogan from CBC's ideas program is it's radio for the mind yeah and then even if it isn't the spoken word that's interesting to you the music is completely different too mm -hmm. you're not listening to the same constructed can pop that top 40 yeah that kind of like I mean and not to say top 40 is bad it's you know if it's that's what you like that's what you like but sometimes you just want to listen to some stuff that's local listen to some stuff that's Canadian content you want to kind of support uh, emerging arts in your area and community radio is the best way to do that awesome well uh, as far as podcasts go we're coming at the end of our time today All right. uh, but other than gradcast what is your favorite podcast or radio program uh, i i am of the npr category i will listen to this american life religiously but i would recommend uh, 99% Invisible, which is... With Roman Mars. With Roman Mars, um, which mm -hmm. is an amazing design podcast. And otherwise, I would recommend listening to um, Freakonomics Radio. That's always super interesting. And there was a Vulture TV podcast. Their backlog is excellent, but they're off the air now. But we're still on the air. We are. Absolutely. Every week and, you know, sometimes with a special here and there. <laughs> awesome. So, Charlotte... This might be a bit too early uh, to ask this question, but now that you've gone like about two months into your master's, do you see yourself continuing even further down this line? Of, oh yeah, uh, I'm going yeah? for the full PhD. I'm going to be Dr. Panatin at the end of this. That, that terminal degree, <laughs> it's eh? It's going to be so good. And if just before we end off, if anybody wanted to reach out to you to contact you, what would be the best way for them to do that, to learn a little bit more or even <laughs> just chat with you because that's fun. Or to run into you on Twitch, maybe. Um, <laughs> so I don't currently stream on Twitch because I'm terrified of showing my face in the public. Um, but if they do, they can always email me at uh, cpaneto, so C-P-A-N-N-E-T-O at U-W-O dot C-A. And then otherwise, you can also reach out to GradCast because mm -hmm. I'm involved with this lovely program and these lovely people. And that's perfect segue for Yemen to end it off for us. And this has been a GradCast with lovely people, including myself, Yemen Chen, and Tanya Nekval. Thank you. And our guest today was Charlotte Paniton. Also very lovely. Yeah. And shout out to our producer today, Susan Anthony. Beautiful as always. And if you would also like to be uh, among our group of shiny, happy, beautiful people, <laughs> you can also join our GradCast committee. We're always looking for interested and motivated people to come on and help produce this program. So you can get in touch with us at our uh, email address, gradcastradio.com at gmail.com or visit our website gradcast.ca Tune in every Tuesday. Jumping in here for him and tune in every Tuesday. We're here at 6 o'clock and you can also catch all of our podcasts on uh, 
the website you even just mentioned, gradcast.ca. Or on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are distributed. Gradcast has been a production of the Society of Graduate Students at the University of Western Ontario, recorded here in beautiful, not so sunny right now, London, Ontario. <laughs> <laughs>